The airwaves are going to turn blue this week as we discuss the Tories' economic policy. Yes, as Cameron and co gather at their conference this week, we'll see how they plan to cut the deficit and fund the national recovery. And ask, is George Osborne really up to the job? We need to offer a complete change from the double counting, the fiddled figures, the off-balance sheet trickery, the stealth taxes and the feckless irresponsibility of the last 12 years. Plus, after supermarket giant Tesco reports profits at £1.5 billion, we analyse the state of British retail. Every little helps. I'm Edith Chakraborty and this is The Business from The Guardian. And a bumper show calls for a bumper number of speakers. So here in the studio, I've got Heather Stewart, The Observer's economics editor, Richard Watchman, The Observer's city editor, and Deborah Hargreaves, business editor of The Guardian. Hello. Hi. Now, of course, the action's not here in London this week, so let's cross quite literally live to our man in Manchester at the Conservative Party conference. Dan Roberts, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Sounds like you've got a full house there in London as well. <laughs> yes, and we're hearing you down what sounds like a tin can and a piece of string. So we're recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon, just a little after George Osborne gave his speech. We heard a snippet at the top of the show, and here's a little more on the subject of public sector pay. No one should pick on public sector workers. And I will not ask them to make any sacrifice or shoulder any burden that the rest of Britain is not being asked to make. And government must honour commitments already made. But today I tell you, in all candour, that if you look at the nation's finances, what the government announced yesterday will not be enough. It covers less than a fifth of the public sector workforce. And you will see that whoever wins the election is going to have to ask from 2011 each part of the public sector to accept a one-year pay freeze. We shouldn't include public servants earning less than £18,000 because I don't believe in balancing the budget on the backs of the poorest, and nor do you. I know it is difficult to ask such hard-working people to accept this freeze. But I want to be straight with you. A pay freeze of the scale that I'm talking about is the equivalent to saving 100,000 frontline public sector jobs. And I say to every public sector worker, it is the best way to protect your job during this difficult time. We are all in this together. Dan, you were in the hall. How did you rate Osborne's speech? It was polished. He certainly kind of um, cracked the voice thing. I mean, he used to sound very young and reedy and, and didn't quite carry that gravitas. And I, I think he's managed to get that bit um, sorted. Um, I was a bit surprised there wasn't more substance in terms of just, you know analysis of exactly what had gone wrong and, and, and some, some, some hint of what they were going to do instead. We only really got one or two new big policy initiatives and, and, and not too much in the way of economic analysis, I thought. And watching on television, it seemed like he got quite a muted response in the hall. Um, yes, it, it largely met with stony silence. Um, it's, I mean, it's not been a terribly kind of enthusiastic conference. I think that's because they're, they're being careful not to sort of go for the easy sort of victories among their own troops. And um, uh, in contrast, really, to, to Labour at Brighton, I think this is very much a sort of uh, uh, a series of speeches designed for the outside world rather than internal consumption. OK, Dan, we'll come back to you in a second, but I'm going to go to Heather now because you were also watching. And I want to know as an economist, what did you make of the speech? 
I thought it was it was a very interesting comment straight afterwards on on, on some of the coverage from, from Owen Stelzer, the, the commentator, who said it was a, it was like a bookkeeper's speech, which I thought was a really interesting way of putting it because it, you almost got the impression that the Tories now think that the state of the public finances is the be-all and end-all of what's wrong with Britain's economy. And actually, it's a symptom of what's wrong. And it's a consequence of the, the, the extraordinary downturn we found ourselves in. But, you know, he said nothing about, you know, economists know that the way to deal with a deficit really is to get the economy growing again. But he told us nothing about what kind of British economy he wants to oversee, you know, where he thinks we've gone wrong over the last 10, 12 years and how he will fix that, which was a bit depressing, really. It was it, You felt it was all going to be about penny-pinching, whereas actually that's, that ought to be one element of what he's talking about about and, and not the be all and end all. He's light on vision, is he? Light on vision? <laughs> no, no great, great view of where he's going? What do you think, Heather? No, I think that's right. I think I don't think there's any vision at all. I think it's not that his money saving efforts aren't, aren't, you know, perfectly plausible costed policies. Most of them seem to be fine. There's some questions about the retirement age issue. But, you know, it's, it doesn't give you any sense of how it fits into sort of wider narrative or framework or, you know, whatever you want to call it, about where we'll be in, in five years' time. I think Labour are actually saying this afternoon that uh, Osborne's speech had more promises than it did in terms of promises of saving. So he was giving away more money than he was actually saving by the end of the speech. Mm, that may well be true because it, 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 there have certainly been some questions. The National Institute for Economic and Social Research have certainly come out. They were the origin of this of this thirteen billion pound figure that that Osborne has cited that, that he says he can save by bringing forward the increase in the retirement age. That was one of his main policies today. And actually, you know, NISA have come out afterwards and said that would only work if it was part of a wider package. If you persuaded people not just to take their state pension later, but also to work later more years it, actually he, you know he's overestimated how much he'll save by doing that so you know already the question marks are you know are popping up over what he's what he's planning Richard one of the phrases that ran through Osborne's speech was compassionate conservatism and you got a real sense during during this afternoon that the David Cameron and George Osborne want to show that they are running the party and it's not those loony right wingers that we keep seeing in Telegraph and on on, on television to what extent do you think Osborne's speech, Osborne's economic policy adds up to compassionate conservatism? Well, I think he is trying to get away from this idea that it's the nasty Tories. And I think what he said this afternoon will go some way to alleviating people's concerns that um, this is the, the hard nuts of old coming back. Uh, but, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We'll have to wait until and if they get into power. OK. And Deborah, Heather's mentioned already this thing about raising the state pension age by a year, which is the Tories plan now to do it a decade ahead of where the government had originally planned to do it. So 2016, state pension age raised from 65 to 66. What do you make of that? Well, I think it's quite brave, actually, because I think this is something we're all going to have to face. And I mean, 66 is probably not high enough. It's probably going to have to go up to 70 and probably sooner than we expect, because we can't afford to pay pensions as they're currently promised. Most companies are overpromising, and the state sector is certainly overpromising. It's just unaffordable. And I think it's pretty brave of the Tories to take that first move. It's probably got to go further. Dan, what did you make of the pensions pledge? Well, I thought it was kind of curious, actually, in a speech that was full about wanting to turn us into a nation of savers, symbolically sort of taking away one a major plank of our national savings system by pushing back the retirement age, I thought was kind of an odd message to send out. I can understand why he did it. But equally, the other big pensions announcement, which we shouldn't forget, is the um, um, the tax relief on um, on pension funds that he's pledging to reverse the, the damage that Gordon Brown did. This is going to be a very expensive decision. And again, you can see why he's doing it. But it, it's a curious thing to be taking 
with one hand and giving with the other um, when all the time you're trying to reassure people about the solidity of their long-term savings? I mean, I'm just left with a sense that uh, I won't believe any of it's still there by the time I get to retire. Heather, the, another phrase that kept coming up in Osborne's speech was we're all in this together, this sense that everyone's going to have to pay the bill for the banking mm. crisis and a recession. Do you think that stacks up? Well, I think Labour's response to that would be that their uh, view is that actually those who can most afford it should should bear the largest burden. That's why they've talked about a 50p rate of tax for um, the highest paid. Uh, whereas, you know, if, if you try and pay for these things by delaying the state pension age, for example, you know, you spread the pain of, of paying for this right down to people who are on really quite low income. So, you know, and if you're the Tories, you, you try and keep in place your aspiration. I think they said they wouldn't do it immediately, but to increase the inheritance tax threshold to people who are earning, you know, who've got, who've got a million pounds of legacy to leave. So, you know, there is a slight feeling that, well, yes, we are all in it together, but actually we're protecting the higher paid at the expense of, you know, everybody having to having to bear some of the pain, which, well, you know, does reveal a, 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 something about their priorities, it seems to me. It's a bit rich, isn't it, that we're all having to spread this pain across the whole of the population when whose fault was this actual Absolutely. crisis? Well, well, on, on, that, on that note, we, on that note, how much bank bashing did we hear in this speech? Not enough. <laughs> Richard, not as much as you would expect. I mean, obviously, you know, the Conservatives are traditionally the friends of the city, but they don't want to labour that point after the banking crisis of the last twelve months. So, I think you know the Conservatives are going to be very careful about how they position themselves with um, the city, and we'll have to see what uh, Mr. Cameron comes up with over the next few months before the election. Dan, how much of an offensive do you think Osborne made on the Red Braces army? Um, there, there is a sense that there is a traditional Tory attitude to to the city and business that's creeping back here, much the same way I thought that there was a lot of old Labour creeping back last week in Brighton. But I mean, they're, they're in the hall at the moment when they're talking about um, red tape and regulation. I heard this morning a fringe event um, to discuss the city and regulation that was almost entirely about um, removing, the, to quote unquote, the jackboot of regulation from off our necks. So, I mean, this is not a contrite party. This is not a party that feels that uh, business in the city were, were in any way to blame for what happened last year. You might hear the odd reference to that on the stage, but in the, in the Red Braces Brigade, that's not their view of the world. This is The Business with Aditya Chakraborty. Well, Dan, a conference is always far more than speeches in a hall. What's the atmosphere been like? Well, the fascinating thing from a business perspective this year is just how many businesses are here. I mean, it's like the sort of uh, the conference before Labour was swept to power in '97. I mean, every every corporate in the country seems to be here, and a lot of them are taking stands in the exhibition. A lot of them are sponsoring um, fringe events, and they've even got this sort of marketplace type um, thing in the exhibition, which is where a lot of different um, uh, businesses uh, are selling their wares. You know, you've got Marks and Spencers, and you've got Harvey Nichols, and all sorts of things. I actually went around and spoke to a few of them. And spoke to this chap at MS. My name's Phil Schultz. I'm the store manager of Manchester, but also today for the first time running Manchester Central here at the Tory Party Conference. Tell us a little bit about what's, uh, what's flying off the shelves. What are you selling? Well, we weren't sure what we were going to sell when we came down here today, mm. so we've got a full range of everything from our new pick and mix suites mm-hmm. through to ladies' wear, some men's accessories, and we were, we were most surprised and intrigued to learn this morning it was ladies' hosiery. Right. So there was a, probably a few ladies wanted to get an extra pair or something had snagged on the way in. And then mm. through as well, men's belts was a real surprise, so we sent back to the shop for a few more men's belts this morning. I'm Richard Lomas from the British Private Equity and Venture Capital Association uh, and we represent private equity and venture capital in the UK. And um, you've got an interesting uh, assortment of products on your on your store. You're not selling these, are you, like some of the people? No, we're not. We're giving them away. Yeah. Our, our intention is to make the industry a bit more real, a bit kind of more human to mm-hmm. 
people in the conference centres. So what we've done is bring along some products that are made by companies which are owned by private equity funds. Okay, so do you want to talk me through what you've got down here? McVitie's biscuits, okay. Penguin biscuits, simple skincare products, two-for-one vouchers at ZZ's, the restaurant. What are you hoping to get out of conference here? What's the message that you're trying to get across? I think part of what we're trying to do is is uh, is explain to people what the industry does and why it's important. I think a lot of people have a uh, perception of private equity and venture capital as being part of this sort of amorphous group mm. of big finance and they're not really sure what that means in practice mm. uh, and particularly where the debate is at the moment I think there's a real danger that that leads to kind of unfortunate consequences in terms of kind of additional regulation or taxation mm. etc so I think what we're trying to do is say this isn't about kind of big sort of meaningless finance it's about real businesses um, and so I think by doing that and, and telling that to as many people as possible we're, we're hopeful that we'll kind of receive a favourable hearing. Nigel Lockwood from G4SPLC. We've been attending the party conferences for the last few years but it's the first time we've sort of exhibited. Um, so, far, so far so good. Yeah. And, and do you think there are more businesses here this year because people are expecting tourists um, to be forming in the next government? I mean, is that, is that why you're here? Cer- do you think, it's certainly busier yeah. uh, this year I think. And certainly here today walking around and having a little look at the other, the other stand, it's certainly a lot busier than I, I first imagined. I'm Michael Curry. I'm the hospitality manager for Manchester Harvey Nichols. Why do you think you were invited this year and what do you do you, do you feel that sort of coming here is in any way a sort of political statement or no not at all I think the the conservatives this time have made a conscientious decision to involve other people and bring them in and also I suppose add something to their conference and make a decision how can we add to it and make something a bit different I believe if um, any other government or should I say political party came in and asked us would we do it I think again we would look at it because that's Outside of this, people look at Manchester, the Ring of Steel, do they come into the city? So we're just looking at it from a business point of view with people who are in the city for the conference. We're selling, and that's primarily it. In this, in this I suppose, um, time we're being adaptable, looking at other avenues, um, and that's the purpose behind it. No necessarily political persuasion behind it whatsoever. Dan, you seem to have done a thorough trawl of the stalls there at the Conservative Conference. I hope some of those freebies are coming back to London with you. <laughs> well, they weren't free. They're selling them. I've got to go and buy some knickknacks to take back to the family, I think. We want biscuits is what we want. You know a biscuit comes in very handy in the afternoon. And moving away from base and matters, Dan, to what extent is what you've seen at Manchester so far this week, to what extent does that conform with the stereotypes of Tory faithful as being the Blue Rinse Brigade? Um, I think it's definitely a lot younger this year. I didn't go last year to Birmingham, but I was at um, Blackpool two years ago for a Toy Party conference and um, was really quite um, shocked there how old and stereotypically so it was. This year there's a lot more thrusting young types in suits. Not many women still, uh, not much of a range of backgrounds, judging from the accents on the stage, but certainly a more of a sense of a business-like party of power rather than the sort of um, pressure group that it occasionally looked like in the wilderness years and what's the be- what's the best thing you've seen i um i thought osborne's speech was probably i mean having sort of damned it with faint praise it finally kind of helped explain what their economic worldview is it's been very curious the way they've kind of um criticized labor throughout the um financial crisis um but somehow sort of uh, ducked the question of what they would do differently it's it's very clear to me now that this is an almost an old-fashioned monetarist um 
uh, economic theory at heart here. And what they're saying is that they believe that it's um, um, monetary policy that will get Britain, keep Britain out of out of recession, and and fiscal stimulus is 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 um, is a dangerous route that's just going to drive up interest rates. Um, I'm not sure there are the economists in the room. It'd be interesting to see what Heather says. I'm not sure that is actually um, uh, carrying carrying weight at the moment, but it, it, it's certainly more clarity than we've had recently. Dan, you've talked about everything from biscuits to monetarism, so you've really shown your versatility here. Thank you very much. There's full analysis of all the economic and political policy pledges from the Tory conference at guardian.co.uk, but for now we'll leave politics and get on to good old retail. At Tesco, we understand that you want to get your shopping done as quickly as possible. So if there's ever more than one person in front of you at the checkout... We'll do our best to open another one. Let me open this other pill for you, sir. One in front at Tesco. Ever a little help? Yes, and Tesco posted its half-year results this week. The supermarket giant announced pre-tax profits at £1.57 billion for the last six months, while sales were up 9% to £28 billion. It sounds pretty good, especially in the middle of a recession, but Chief Executive Terry Leahy described the results as solid rather than spectacular. Deborah, why is he so downbeat? Well, Tesco's had a bit of a difficult time over the past year. They've um, competed with the discount retailers on their own terms. They launched their own discount range about a year ago. It didn't actually go that well. And for Tesco, these results are not stellar. I mean, as Terry says, they're very solid. But um, I mean, Tesco is such a juggernaut. It really really doesn't um, do much wrong. Um, But the interesting thing I think now is that middle class spending habits are coming back and we're not really all shopping at discount ranges anymore. We're buying our organic food and our ready meals and our finest ranges. All those um, ideas that we came up with last year about how um, we, 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 we didn't want fancy food anymore, that all seems to be consigned to the dustbin um, and we're now back to our old habits. But another theme that comes through in the interims, Richard, is that Tesco keep pl- planning this expansion into non-food items. So they, they keep planning to offer current accounts, mobile phones, insurance, a lot. That's right. Not a lot of detail on that, but uh, th- those are the big growth areas. And at a time when banks, the reputation of banks is at a very, very low level indeed. Tesco wants to take advantage and leverage its its very good brand name. I think, I think it's a really good idea, actually. I think Tesco is really going to clean up in the banking market because I do think people hate um, banks far more than they hate supermarkets. I mean, in fact, some people even like Tesco. And um, Do you agree, Richard? I think that's true. You know, Even though Tesco uh, has its enemies, it also has an awful lot of friends. And the brand name itself, survey after survey, reveals uh, quite a positive image does that make does does the brand name itself make that much difference when you're effectively dealing with a supermarket wrapper around uh, an old-fashioned banking account so it's rbs or whoever who offer at the moment at the moment is though at the moment if you ring up if you've got a tesco account hands up here then what you get is you get an rbs call center but a tesco name on letter letter. yes but that's going to change though that and i think the interesting thing is that andrew higginson who's the tesco finance director who's leading the bank the push into banking is doing his bankers exams which is more than andy hornby or fred goodwin ever did at h boss and royal bank of scotland and so they are taking it quite seriously and i do think that there's rumors that they might look at buying northern rock i do think it's actually a good move and if you look at tesco insurance that's tremendously successful and that brand name helps 
pubs them an awful lot. So, Richard, whatever happens to the business logic of you stick to what you know you're good at and you don't expand into areas that got nothing to do with you? Because as far as I can see, Tesco's is a grocer's. It's not into offering mortgage products. But there's only so much growth you can get on conventional grocery products. So they go into non-food items. So they go into financial services. So they go into all sorts of other things to boost the bottom line and the top line as well. Deborah, let's just tie Tesco's results together with the Tory party conference. One of the themes that's come through the Tory party conference this week is uh, uh, people like Philip Blonde, prominent Tory thinkers who talk about breaking up big business and giving more power to family businesses and to uh, sole traders and having more of a sort of flourishing of small businesses. Do you think they've got the wrong end of the stick? Should we be celebrating Tesco's as kind of a, a sign of enterprise Britain? Well, we do love to sort of bash big companies in Britain. And um, and I do appreciate this idea that, you know, let a thousand flowers flourish or whatever the, whatever the line is. You've not studied uh, your mouth recently. <laughs> but I mean, it is that, you know, it is good. You want small businesses to grow and you want people to be out there and, and feel entrepreneurial and set up their own business. But that will never take the place of some big conglomerates. I mean, you're never going to have a small family business with the purchasing power of Tesco. And uh, arguably some of these Tesco and Sainsbury, maybe they're too big, but that's where we are. And um, they're now expanding into different areas and people have welcomed that. I mean, a lot of people are very keen to see Tesco in their area, although we see some very high profile campaigns against them. I think you have to remember that they've done a lot to reduce the price of food and bring a wider range of food to a wider number of people. So I think there's a place for both. Richard, one of the interesting stories to come out last week was a competition commission saying it was actively going to start examining the effects of Tesco Town Britain. How far do you think that that will go? Well, you know, it's all a process that is ongoing, so we don't know what the, the, the final resolution will be. But, but they've looks, not been very good so far, have they? No, it, it does look as if the, the Commission is going to clamp down and make it more difficult for Tesco to expand and more difficult for there to be Tesco's where they've already got large offshoots already operating. And I think that's something that the other supermarkets like Asda will welcome. Well, that's it for this week's show. There are links to all our stories on our blog at guardian.co.uk slash the business. We're back next week, but for now, my thanks to Deborah Hargreaves, Heather Stewart and Richard Watchman and Dan Roberts in Manchester. Our producer's Ben Green. I'm Edith Chakraborty and that was the business. (laughs) 